welcome to Church for the Harvest, and we want to say happy Resurrection Sunday to you all. Amen? Let's give a hand to Jesus, if you would, please. We honor you today, Lord. <clears throat> I want to thank uh, those of you that helped with the Good Friday service, and then yesterday, we had hundreds of kids and family, and a lot of ministry took place at the, the egg hunt if you helped out with uh, any of those two services, would you please stand? Yes, I would like you to stand. I want us to recognize all those that had helped, that served. Thank you. They face-painted. They facilitated. And Ryan and Katie were just rock stars. They, they were here late on Friday night getting things set up to help facilitate uh, the ministry and just loving on people. And so... So grateful for that and that outreach and for all of you that had served there. Amen. Well, I'm going to take a moment and pray and ask for God's blessing and share the word of God this morning. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this, this Resurrection Sunday. Lord, I recognize that in of myself, I have nothing good to say. But through the power of the Holy Spirit, I ask that you speak through me here today. Give to every person what they need here today. Only you are able to do that. And so, Lord, I just surrender my mouth to be your mouthpiece in these short minutes we have together. I pray your blessing continue in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen, amen. I want to welcome you to our Easter Sunday service and and, uh, but I also want to welcome you to next Sunday <laughs> and the Sunday after. We are a welcoming church, and we welcome new families all the time. And God is continually adding to Church for the Harvest and adding families, individuals, and believers, and, and those that have come to know the Lord. You are welcome here at Church for the Harvest. Amen? Now, uh, this message today I want to share um, I've spoken probably 30 or so plus over the last 30 years, Easter messages, and uh, most, most, uh, especially believers, understand the story. So I'm going to ask the believers here today, do we have any believers? <clears throat> just, to, just to lean in and relax, but I'm really not here to speak to you. I'm after the one, because I believe Jesus is after the one. Jesus, the good shepherd, said he leaves the 99 for the one. Because when one finds the Lord and surrenders their life, all of heaven rejoices. All of heaven rejoices. That's how important your soul, your spirit is to God. That you would not miss him in this life. That you would come into a right relationship with Jesus. That you would know God and be known. Can you say amen? And so, so I, I welcome all of our guests here today. And I want to say this, this Resurrection Sunday, that Jesus Christ, he is still changing lives. He is still changing lives. And the resurrection of Jesus equips us, I believe, to face two huge fears that, that most people have. And that is the fear of dying and the fear of living. And I want to talk about those two fears here today. The fear of dying and then the fear of living. First uh, Corinthians, my text, First Corinthians 15, 16 to 22, I'm just going to paraphrase by reading here. One of the most important facts of the Christian faith is the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, there are those who can't quite believe it happened and anything more, maybe in a spiritual way or historically, we, you know. Yet the Bible says that the creator, the sustainer God, broke into human history in a supernatural way. He became human, human, a human being who was fully God and fully human, and he took upon himself, the Bible says, the kind of suffering we experience. And so this sinless one went to the cross and experienced the very pain of death on behalf of you and I. He didn't have to do that. He went willingly to do that, to bring redemption to mankind. But there's more to it. The Bible says that he took upon himself our sins. He died. And he rose from the dead. That's what the scriptures teach. During a six-week period of time, the Bible says he appeared to more than 500 people. The very existence of the Christian church bears witness to the fact that something happened to transform a broken, beaten group of losers into men and women who gave their lives for Jesus Christ, of whom they witnessed in his resurrection power. Something happened to those first disciples. Here's the key point. More than all the factual data we could muster this morning in our endeavor to prove the literal resurrection of Jesus Christ is the fact that he right now is still in the business of changing lives. He is, still he is still saving people from their sins. He is still delivering people and releasing them from guilt. He is still healing people. He is still bringing freedom to people's lives. He is removing hatred out of people's hearts, and he, was, he is replacing it with love. That's the God we serve. Can you say amen? Jesus said when he raised his close friend Lazarus from the dead in John 11, he said, I am the resurrection. In the life, those who believe in me, even though they die, they will live. And everyone who believes, excuse me, who lives and believes in me will never die. Wow, what does that mean? Then he added this question, which penetrates so deeply. Do you believe this? He said that to his disciples. I put the same question to you today. Do you believe that? Do you believe what Jesus said? Is Jesus Christ risen as far as you are concerned? Does it make a difference in you and through you in your life? Or is it just something that religious people do, you know, and they go to the kind of that building on a Sunday and, you know, <clears throat> I, don't, I don't get it. You know, I, I can't experience God. I, I, don't, I don't know. Big man upstairs. They just know. Do you believe this? is the question this morning. The Apostle Paul was overwhelmed with the significance of the resurrection. He took the position that if it's only for this life, as believers, we have hope in Jesus Christ, he says, we are, of all people, the most pitied. If it, if it really didn't happy, happen, the resurrection, we're fools. We're really a bunch of fools. But if it did happen, hallelujah, we're on the right side of history. <clears throat> the Christian faith is not self-delusional nonsense. No. It's the rugged, tough stuff of being equipped to live in this life, to die, and to step into the presence of Jesus Christ into a life that goes far beyond anything we know in this life. Our Christianity is not a temporal, ethical system that helps us to somehow survive in this world. No, the fact is, Jesus Christ is risen, and that makes a tremendous difference right now, today, for your life. 
First, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, it equips you to die. What do you mean by that? Equipped to die. We are really only equipped to live when we are prepared to die. Think about that. What we forget is that all of us right now are suffering from a terminal disease. Take a good look at the person you love most. That person may be sitting beside you this morning here in church. That person may be far away. Still, the two of you hold one fact in common. You are both in the process of dying. Welcome to church this morning. (laughs) It doesn't matter how old you are. Granted, statistically speaking, it will catch up with some of us sooner than others. So what do we do? We try to play the hunches. We bet our turn will come up later than sooner. In reality, we're all part of a frantic string of refugees clutching to a few possessions and trying to find a safe place to live. Psychiatrists tell us that we aren't really mature until we confront the inevitability of our own death. Our modern existence can put a smooth veneer over this reality. And there are many ways in which we bind ourselves to this inevitable fact. But the good news today is the resurrection of Jesus Christ releases us from having to deny the reality of death. In fact, it it equips us actually to die. It equips us to die because God's word tells us some things about the future. Three promises very quickly about death for the believer. For the believer now, number one, God promises there is life beyond this life. For the unbeliever here this morning or those that are inquiring or wondering are not really certain. These promises are for you if you will accept and receive Christ in your life. They can be for you here this morning. The first is God promises there is life beyond this life. What a powerful statement. Jesus said in John 14, just before his death, do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house, there are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you that I go, to a, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself so that where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way to the place where I am going. John chapter 14, powerful. You know, the Apostle Paul refers to Jesus as being the first fruits of them that are dead. The first fruits. His resurrection stands as evidence that life does not end with death for the believer. Amen. The second promise, God promises hope. Somebody shout hope. Boy, the world needs hope today. More than ever, people are searching for hope. The Apostle Paul wrote these words to the church in Thessalonica in chapter 1 Thessalonians 4. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about those who have died. So that you may not grieve as others who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus Christ, God will bring with him those who have died. What a tremendous promise. So the Christian need not be bogged down with the sorrow of those who have no hope. You know, I've officiated at many, many funerals over the last 35 years. Tears stream at the funeral of a believer and a non-believer. But there are two different kinds of tears. One accompanies the moans of those who who have no hope. That is agonizing, an agonizing moment. Their confidence was not in Jesus. They didn't know the Lord. The other's tears come from those who are believers who remain. We cry out of our hearts, throbbing with pain, that we will not see our loved ones for a while. Yes, this so final in this life, death. 
We cry for ourselves for no longer we have that earthly presence of a loved one who's now in the presence of the Lord for the believer. However, for a person of faith, death is simply a transition into the presence of Jesus Christ. That's a fact. That's a fact. God promises life beyond this life. God promises hope for those who will accept Jesus Christ. And number three, God promises we need not face the danger of hell. Did he actually say that this morning? Yes, I did. Hell is a real place. Hell was not made for mankind, but for Satan and his demons. I just want you to know that. Jesus died to set us free from that ominous alienation from Almighty God. Now, we can try to blind ourselves to the facts and deny the reality of hell. But built in the human psyche is a fear of death. That's a fact. That moment of accountability for all we have done wrong comes to fruition when we die. Now, there are some who can dull themselves with the narcotic disbelief of cynicism. But the same Bible that promises heaven to those who put their trust in Jesus Christ says, there is a hell, an eternal alienation, a separation from God. But for those who refuse God's love, for those who are unwilling to repent of sin, to turn, they turn down that free gift of salvation. They run the risk of standing separated forever from God Almighty who loves them and he went to the cross for them. Sobering words. To deny the fact of hell doesn't make hell any less of a fact. The resurrection of Jesus assures us a place in heaven with the Savior. The sting of death is removed. The notion of punishment, of condemnation, which is universal to the human existence, is canceled by what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. This eternity in his presence, it will have purpose. There will be purpose in heaven as we will be kingdom builders with him in a new heaven in a new earth. So we see the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It, it equips us to die well, Amen. to die well. And then number two, the resurrection of Jesus Christ equips us to live, not just in eternity, but here on earth, Amen. here on earth. It has cataclysmic implications for our existence right now in this world. You know, in the past, I've known some people who would rather die than live. I've even officiated, sadly, at a funeral for a, a dear father that took his life. Suicide is an increasingly talked about in reality for many people today, especially, especially young people with social media. The pressure, the pressure is enormous to try to measure up. And Satan lies to young people. Suicide in the U.S. is a major public health issue. <clears throat> it has increased 30% just since 2020. 45,799 suicides. Tragic. Tragic. People feel hopeless. The facts are the Christian is the one who's prepared to die, but also to live. Also to live. The Apostle Paul wrestled with this as he struggled with his own desire to die, to be with Jesus on the one hand, and to remain here to serve the Lord. So how does the resurrection of Jesus Christ equip us to live? Very quickly, number one, God promises meaning for your life. Amen. Meaning for your life. You know, are you aware that grief is not a word restricted to the dying process? 
Think about this. Grief, in its ultimate sense, involves the loss of meaning. Therefore, bereavement is a crisis of meaning. Grief is an expression of an exhausting effort to reintegrate the jumbled pieces of life's puzzle into a picture that somehow makes sense. Grief, it is as much emotional as it is practical. Grief, it describes what a nation goes through in times of economic and political and international crisis. It, it is what we experience in the wake of 9-11 and Iraq and Afghanistan and all the wars in the past and the various political and social upheavals and the economic meltdown, a housing crash and interest rates, the terror that COVID has instilled and, and still is instilling in millions of people's lives and the diabolical tar targeting of murdering of believers in Christian schools. All of this creates massive amount of grief. And some... Some people avoid the immediate lack of meaning by reverting to the past. They want to live in the past. I know of a gentleman, a good man out east, and he loved the 1950s era. You know, the T-shirt rolled up and the jeans and, you know, the, the crew cut and going to the soda shops and, you know, hanging out at the gas station. Come on, somebody. And then the old 50s cars, you know. Hey, I love those. I love the restoration of old vehicles, but... That day is gone, <laughs> okay? <laughs> you, can, you can go and visit that, but you can't live there. We live here and now. So some today, they, they just kind of live in the past. And, and some, sadly, I think, believe they mean well. Christians become preoccupied with eschatology and times. Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming back. Just want you all to know that he is coming back. And it is biblical to teach on this. Can I get an Amen. And he talks about the end times. And we should talk. We should expect Jesus' return. Okay? We should be pursuing. But, but some talk about it that, that they, they don't occupy in this life. Their, their head is, you know, in the sky. You meet them and they go, Jesus, come back any moment. I'm like, okay. There's still three billion people that have never heard the gospel. Uh, can I get an amen? <laughs> so I anticipate his return, but I'm going to occupy until then. I'm going to be about the kingdom business. Amen. And so some, it's kind of a form of escapism, and we don't, uh, we don't, we don't want that. You know, in the Marine Corps, what do they do is they, they train you when chaos happens to run into chaos. That, that's, that's the life of the believer. So the life of the believer is not to hide in the basement, to stack up dried food to mix with water that supposedly might last 25 years. Can I get an Amen. Somebody went, oh, man, he knows what's in my basement. <laughs> no, I don't. But it's to occupy. It's to run into the chaos, to bring light to darkness. That's the role of the believer. Can I get an amen? <laughs> I don't think that went over too well. Hallelujah. Jesus Christ, he offers the combination of the best of the past with the inevitable change which is producing a future. Jesus Christ wants us to walk. He wants to walk with us in the present. Amen. In the present. Amen. I read about someone that described their life before they came to Jesus. And one which he said, I was going around in circles. Circles of emptiness. Circles of emptiness with me at the center. You know, there is always death at the end of your plan. But life 
at the end of God's plan for your life. Always. And I am convinced Jesus Christ is the missing piece in the puzzle called life. Can you say amen? See, without Jesus, you can almost get back to life together, your life. But then all of a sudden, it shatters into a million confusing pieces. Jesus said, I am come that you might have life, that you might have it abundantly. Jesus knows best how you are to live, he said. He said, I am the one that created you. I know the best way for you to live. So we see that God promises meaning. There is meaning for the believer in this life, in the life thereafter. Amen? Second thing, God promised you authentic forgiveness. Forgiveness. Somebody say forgiveness. What a powerful word. So the question is, have you ever done anything you shouldn't have done? Don't raise your hand on that. <laughs> of course. We all know that. Who told us that? We have a sin nature. You know, when they have, a, when our kids, you know, when they get around, I don't know, they call them terrible tools. I don't like that because I don't want to categorize a kid that way, but What's the first word a kid learns? <laughs> Why couldn't it be, yes, daddy, yes, mommy, no, no. It's the sin nature, and it's there, been passed on from Adam and Eve from the beginning. Have you ever left undone anything you should have done? Some of us, some of us live with a lot, of, a lot of guilt, a lot of guilt. And some of us have anesthetized ourselves to guilt, pretending there is no such thing as sin. And we just keep suppressing it, and we continue on in behavior, and we try to keep suppressing it, but it, see, it doesn't go away. It just compounds. It builds. It's a weight. It's a weight. And many are weighted down by guilt and by sin. The resurrection of Jesus Christ can take the weight of guilt and sin, the wickedness out of your nature, out of your nature, your spirit man or spirit woman. That is something supernatural that God does for everyone that repents and welcomes Christ in their life. Can I get an amen? I read about a father who had a son who was allergic to bee stings. And uh, if the boy was stung by a bee, uh, he'd go into anaphylactic shock and have a rash and uh, his throat would be constrained and, and he could die. And so if a bee were to sting him, it would kill the boy. One day a bee circled the two of them and it landed on the boy. The father stood there petrified. Suddenly the bee flew and stung the father's arm. Then the bee flew back to the boy, but nothing happened. Why? Because nothing could happen. The father had taken the sting out of the bee and rendered it harmless. What is the sting of death? What makes death painful? Paul raised these questions when he declared, the sting of death is sin in 1 Corinthians 15. And the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Can you say amen? The resurrection of Jesus Christ takes the sting out of death. When you repent and you welcome and receive his salvation, then your guilt is removed. Not until then. Not until then. You have acknowledged that you're a sinner who needs forgiveness. There's nothing that you have done that cannot be forgiven through Jesus Christ. Nothing. Nothing. He will forgive you. The Bible says in 1 John 1, 8, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, 
He who is faithful and just will forgive us of our sins and he will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Amen. So God promises you forgiveness. God promises you meaning. And then thirdly, God promises you strength. He promises you ability, power. What is that? Jesus said you shall receive power when his Holy Spirit comes upon you and within you. Divine power is yours. It's power to live this life. Did you hear that? You're not alone. You're not an accident. You are special to God. He wants to help you here today. His guidance is available today for you. His direction is with you if you will cry out and grab hold of his forgiveness for your life. Yours is not a faith of a good person who lived a perfect example and then died a martyr's death on the cross. No. For the believer, your confidence is in the risen, risen Lord who wills to walk with you as an intimate friend. And finally, God, I love this, promises you a job. <laughs> a job. Something meaningful that only you can do. Only you can do. Dr. N.T. Wright, the former bishop of Durham, warns us that in our preaching of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we should not focus simply on God's forgiveness in this life and heaven in the life to come. He says this, he says, salvation by grace, not by works, was the important theological truth that brought about the Protestant Reformation. But we live in danger of putting so much of a concentration on God's grace that we forget we are saved for a purpose. You, did you hear that? You are saved for a purpose. We are called to a joint enterprise with God and building his kingdom here on earth. We all have a job. God gives you a job. And I can tell you what, when you get to heaven, the pay is great. Yeah. Amen? Nobody be taking taxes out of that. that, that. And so, so instead of clutching a one-way ticket to heaven, which is ours, we are privileged to be empowered by the Holy Spirit to change in positive ways the culture in which we live. That is our job. That is our, that's not God's job. He said, I give you authority. Change. You don't like the way things are going on in your culture? You don't like the leadership? Change it. Get involved. Here's the thing. The resurrection of Jesus could translate us straight to heaven after we repent and receive his grace, but he doesn't do that. Jesus makes us his emissaries, his ambassadors here on earth to do his work in the most creative way possible. Now watch this. We don't earn our salvation by feeding the hungry. We don't earn our salvation by clothing the naked or giving a glass of clean cold water to a thirsty person or visiting prisoners or taking care of the widow and an orphan or telling people Jesus loves them and inviting them to receive his salvation. No, that is our privilege. It is our opportunity in this life. Can you say amen? Each of us needs a job and he has given us the greatest job of all, which is most satisfying, telling others about Jesus Christ. Amen. And so what does that mean? When we come to faith in Jesus Christ, we have a big job to do. We are to see beyond our own vested self-interest with the interest of others. That is a calling. That means we must dedicate ourselves to kingdom work, sharing the good news of what God has done for us through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
It is not something to selfishly hold on to once we are saved and not share. No, it is something that we are to share. Each of us has a job. Stand with me if you would, please, as we conclude. Worship team, you come forward. I'd like you to, if you would, in reverence, bow your heads here this morning, if you would. Prayer here, I want to pray is prayer of salvation. You have an opportunity here this morning now, which was spoken, to make a decision. No decision is a decision. Indifference is a decision. God will not force himself upon you, sir, ma'am, young person. You have to freely choose him. I believe the Holy Spirit is here. He has opened people's hearts up. I believe that. If you've received Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, so then I affirm you in the way. He has equipped you to face these fears. Fear of dying. The fear of living. However, Perhaps maybe there's backslitters, those who have backslidden in heart here today. You at once serve the Lord. There was a time and season in your life that you've fallen away, and that guilt of sin has compounded on your life. You've wandered away from Him. Today, I invite you to come back to Jesus, to reestablish your relationship with Christ. Maybe you're here this morning and you're on the outside looking in wondering, hey, this is different. <laughs> this is really different. I'm not used to this in my circle. This whole Jesus thing, wow. Maybe you came to church here this morning as a guest of someone. Maybe there's these uncertainties, this time of economic upheaval, produce fear, concern in your life. You're seeking, you're looking, you're wondering what's real. What's truth? Maybe it's some dramatic crisis in your life. Maybe there's a physical illness. I don't know. But whatever you head bowed here this morning, I want to invite you right now to receive Jesus Christ as your Savior and your Lord. I want to invite you to open your heart to Him. Admitting, no, you're not perfect. But asking His forgiveness for your sins. I'm going to ask you to welcome him into your life today. Only you can do that. You have the power to do that. It's not some mental ascent walking out of here. It's, it's confessing. It's being converted. It's welcoming and receiving him. Welcoming Christ in your life. Today can be the most important day of your life. If you say yes to Jesus. And no to you being the king of your life. With every head bowed, you say, Pastor, that's me. I need God. I need this Jesus you're talking about. I need this life and this truth. I need to not, I don't want to be afraid of death. <laughs> I don't want to be afraid of that inevitable day. I don't want to live in fear in this life. I need God. With every head bowed and you're here today and you say, Pastor, pray for me. I'm not going to invite you to come down, but I want to pray for you corporately. We're going to pray corporately here on this Resurrection Sunday. And if that's you, you're saying, yes, I make a decision today. I invite Christ in my life. God promises he will meet you at your point of need. Can we pray together corporately? Say this with me. Say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. 
I have transgressed your laws. I'm worthy of death. Jesus, forgive me. Come into my life. Save me. Jesus, I believe you died on that cross on behalf of me in my sin. Jesus, today I invite you in. Jesus, I give you my life. Now take it. In Jesus' name, amen.